Will you please find Matthew's Gospel, chapter 12? And I'll see if we can, as the pastor has suggested, really hear and see the Word of God. The subject for tonight is really interesting. I want to talk to you about the mystery of the haunted house. The mystery of the haunted house. I told the pastor that this afternoon. He said, where's the text? I said, wait and see. I'll tell you later. <laughs> I mean it. I'm not kidding. The mystery of the haunted house. This is a part of the Bible that maybe you have read, but that's about all. Anyhow, Matthew chapter 12, and I'm about to start in verse 43. The master said, When the unclean spirit is gone out of a man, he walketh through dry places, seeking rest, and findeth none. Then he saith, I will return into my house from whence I came out. And when he is come, he findeth it empty, swept, and garnished. Then goeth he and taketh with himself seven other spirits, more wicked than himself, and they, all eight of them, enter in and dwell there. And the last state of that man is worse than the first. Even so shall it be also with this wicked generation. Now, I want to begin tonight as I approach the subject with a startling fact. There were times when huge crowds came to Jesus, bringing their sick with them, and he healed them all. Not often, but there are a few occasions in the Testament where it is said that Jesus healed all the sick. I know that. On the other hand, I counted, so I know I am correct. Apart from those, shall I call them, mass healings, there were only 27 people healed by the Savior during his whole ministry. 27. And that works out since he ministered for three and a half years. The Savior, so it seems, healed one person every six weeks. And that's enough to make you gasp especially the so-called faith healers of today. And if you ask, what's in there? Don't talk about it. Jesus said that one half of the house was gorgeous. The other was the place where a devil lived. 
The windows were broken and dirty. There were no curtains. The paintwork was peeling. And as beautiful as was the one end, the other end of the house was abominable. And as you walked around to have a look, you could see the face of a devil peeping out and grinning and saying, ah, never get me out, never get me out, never get me out. And the good man of the house groaned and said, it's like living in hell with that devil the other side of that door. That, ladies and gentlemen, was Christ's picture of a human soul. Studded Kennedy, our poet in World War I, sitting amidst the muck and the hell of the trenches in France, Studded Kennedy used to spend his time writing poetry. Some of them were wonderful, but the little verse hardly poetry lives with me always. This is what he says. There's summit, no, the, the English isn't mine. There's summit that pulls me up. There's summit that pulls me down. And the consequence is that I wobble twixt muck and a golden crown. There is not a man nor a woman in this service tonight. But what? If you're honest, you have to admit there's a good side of you that reaches for the stars. And there's another side of you that if it gets a half a chance will drag you down to hell. We can put on our airs and graces. We can act as if we were angels, but the plain blunt truth is that's the picture of a human heart. And there are many sincere people aware of what's happening in one section of the house, they say, leave me alone, leave me alone. I believe, but, 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 preacher, to be honest, there are passions and powers in my life I cannot control. And I don't want to make a mess of my faith. For the people in church to be ashamed of me, leave me alone. Jesus said, can you see the house? Light and darkness, heaven and hell, hope and despair. The best way to get that across is to tell you about a man. A man who came to my meetings in Canada, fine, upstanding man. And there was one part of him that responded. And in the other section of his soul lived a devil called alcohol. The man wanted to be wonderful and he was so ashamed of himself he made a mess of things. I sent him a letter and bluntly said do you want to be a Christian or do you want to be a bum? Do you want to be a joy to your wife and children or do you want to be a drunk lying on your face in the gutter. And boy, I put it plain and straight. And that man carried the letter in his pocket. 
every day. They told me that he stood up in the prayer meeting one Wednesday night and he said, I've had a letter from Ivor Powell and it's hit me hard. And he took it out and he read it. Do you want to be an honorable man or a drunken bum? Because it's up to you to make your choice. Paul knew something about this to a degree because he said, in me there dwelleth no good thing. And the things I want to do, I don't do. And the things I hate, I do. That, men and women, will shake you to the core when you know you're useless and worthless and sometimes you're too ashamed to pray. If you haven't been there, well, maybe you're dead and don't know it. The divided house. Let me repeat it for you because I want you to get it. The strange dwelling. How divided. Now then, Jesus said, guess what? Something happened. We never believe it. That man who had been a slave, living in the shadow of hell, one day he got worked up. He said, I'm sick of this, I'm not going to have any more. He opened that door and he went in like a tornado. He got the devil by the back of the neck and the seat of the pants, if devils have pants, one swing and boy, he was out. And the man was more surprised than the devil himself. He said, boy, I never thought I could do it. And that, good Lord, he's out. And that led to the biggest spring clean ever. Jesus said, now keep your eyes open. There's a lot to be seen. The broken window panes were repaired, replaced. The paintwork scrubbed off. The cobweb shifted. The spiders had the shock of their lives. And by the time he finished, glory be to God, what a house. You want the second one? I want you to remember these things. The startling decision. How demonstrative. I'm sick of this. Now, no, certain things can bring it about. A, a, a wonderful speaker can do it. A man can get up in this pulpit with the silver notes of an angel and he can speak and get you so worked up that on the wave of enthusiasm you turn 16 somersaults, make 14 decisions and glory to God, you've done it. Wanting to please your wife or a sweetheart can lead to it. She says, sorry, I only marry a Christian and you are not one, so that's that. And to get the girl, he makes profession of faith. And any girl who enters into that kind of a relationship deserves to have her life ruined. You can't fool around with these things. The Bible says, it's not advice, it's a command. 
be not unequally yoked together. It's my job repairing homes all over the country. When I ask certain questions, the tears begin to flow. If I'm a Christian, I need a Christian partner. If I'm a businessman and I want to run my business according to the word of God, I need a Christian partner. Light and darkness don't go hand in hand. Fear can do it. Fear that that damnable demon can get me by the throat and kill me. A young man or a young woman or for that matter any older person who to get kicks out of life has started using a needle and taking drugs. One thing leads to the other until the devil's got you. Alcohol can do it. Any age. Sex can do it. Until you're an absolute slave. And then one day it hits you so hard. If I go on like this, I'll die. And because of that burning resolution, you decide to get rid of the devil and clean up the house. But the question is, and many ask it, will it last? Will it last? Oh! Will that expel devil come back to this house and haunt it? We'll see. The good man of the house is on cloud nine. Everything's wonderful. He doesn't do that anymore. He's, man, his house is clean. One day he locks the door and he comes out and he goes on a shopping spree downtown and he's whistling something, something, oh, something sort of when the saints go marching in. Oh, I want to be among that number when the saints go marching in. And boy, he's wonderful. And he's apt to forget that the devil has more brains than he has. Now you listen well. You may remember this for a long time to come. While he was gone, the devil that had been pitched out had gone round the show looking for somewhere to rest and couldn't find it. So inevitably he came back to the home from which he had been evicted and he looked in through the window he said, Good night. That guy's cleaned this place up. And he went and looked in through... Empty, swept, and garnished. Dear man, what a place. Ah, But it's no good. He pitched me out once. He can do it again. Now he knows he can do it. I wouldn't have a chance. Ah, man, but that's a great place to live. He said, I know. I need help. So he went about his business and found another demon. He said, hey boy, where are you hanging out these days? Oh, so-and-so. Huh, huh. Do you want a palace? Oh, no, don't, don't, don't get upset. I wouldn't tell you but for the fact I need help. And he told his story. He said, come and have a look. Well, he said, let's get a couple more. And he came back with seven devils and they stood outside and they looked in. Yeah, 
boy, I never saw a place like this. And you lived here? I said, I sure did for years until that guy threw me out. He threw me out again. But if you brothers will come and help me, we'll soon fix him. It's done. And by and by, the fellow came back from his shopping spree or wherever he'd been. He opened the door and stopped dead. Something had happened. And Jesus said, the last state of that man was worse than the first. And I can almost hear somebody shouting and saying, Preacher, that's it! Don't leave me alone! That's exactly what would happen to me. And I'd sooner put up with one devil than have to face eight of them. Wait a minute. I'm going back to my man in Canada. And I don't know, mind. I, I, I have a funny feeling in my heart. It, 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 it's churning there like the waves of the ocean. That somebody in church tonight needs this. I didn't feel like that when I started, but it's, it's, the conviction's deepening. It might be you. So for God's sake, listen. My man in Canada. First of all, there's a weakness in that story. Let, let's get this over first. I know Jesus painted the picture. I know he said it. But there's a weakness there. And I have to find that weakness. Oh, don't talk about the gospel to me. Not interested. I have to deal with hard facts. And that's no good to me unless I can find the weakness. Now, the weakness was that the man, having cleaned his house, decided to live by himself. He could master one devil, but eight were too much for him. What he needed was somebody to stay in the house with him, to help in every time of need, so that if he got a bit weary and went to sleep, the other could help him, and, and, you know, and if he could only find a partner who had power over devils, that would be wonderful. That was the weakness. Because he depended upon himself, he was doomed to failure before he started. And that goes for every man and woman in this house tonight. My man in Canada. He had a lovely wife and some beautiful children. Fine church. Used to take up the offering. Used to welcome people at the door, and they all knew him. But unfortunately, he earned his living by selling trees out in the wilderness. No church, no chaplain. And he went back to his alcohol. When he came home to visit his wife, 80,000 devils had come into the house that once had been cleaned up. And that little lady, God bless her, she went to prayer meeting in the church one night and left him at home. And while she was in the church, she got a double-barrel shotgun and put it to his head and blew half his head away. These are the hard facts of life. And don't stand up and rave and talk and talk and preach and shout. 
I want back. What's the remedy for this? Somebody in that house to help us. Now let's stop a minute. I, I want to be quite sure that in my haste to get on with it, I don't forget my heading. Do you remember the first one? The strange dwelling divided. The startling decision. I'm getting shot of him. Out you go. The saddening defeat. How disturbing. Oh, boy. Anybody here who's made a mess of things? Anybody here who once made profession of faith, joined the church? Maybe you taught a Sunday school class. Maybe you sang in the choir. But tonight, uh, uh, uh. Listen, and listen with both ears. If only that man had had a partner to help keep the house. Now, unless you take that haunted house in its setting, meaningless, just before the Lord said this, he had cast a demon out of a man. And even the Pharisees had to admit it. But of course, as per usual, finding fault, oh, all right, all right, all right, he cast out the devil, all right, he can do it. But listen, you know how he does it? <laughs> He's in league with Beelzebub, the chief of the devil. That, he couldn't do it otherwise. But even the Pharisees admitted he could do it. Just before that, the Lord had gotten out of a little boat and he climbed up the hillside and the disciples were horrified when a wild, blinding, blasting madman came charging at them like an enraged tiger. Horrified and scared, they fell back. And just when they expected the madman to sink his fangs into the throat of Jesus, his knees gave way and he slid to the feet of the Savior. Back there, the disciples' eyes and mouths wide open. And then they heard, We, we, we know thee, you can't fool us. Jesus of Nazareth, we know thee, thou art the Holy Son of God. We know, we know, and listen, listen, Son of God. If you've come here to cast us out of these swine, or cast us out of this man, let us go into the swine. And Jesus said, what is thy name? Legion! And there were 6,000 in a legion. It's inconceivable that all these devils, so to speak, could be within one tormented soul. Six thousand devils! Man, that's the fellow to have in the house with you. If he can put the fear of hell into six thousand demons, he wouldn't have much trouble dealing with eight. You see? Now then, who could have gotten into that house to make his strength Perfect in the man's weakness. The one who was telling the story. Now, 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 Paul preached these things. Number one, 
And here's some subheads for you preachers. You might want to use them. The unclean house. Come on, Christians, in God's name, listen. Have you ever felt too ashamed of yourself even to pray? Have you ever felt, honestly, you were the worst Christian in Chattanooga? And why God ever put up with you, you'll never, never understand. Well, if you've been there, welcome to the club. I live there. Paul said, do you know something? I'll tell you. I sure will. I know that in me dwelleth no good thing. The things I hate. Ha! Honest, I do. And the things I want to do, I don't know, somehow I don't do them. I found out that there's a war in my members. There's the new Paul and there's the old Saul. And sometimes I'm like the weathercock in between. And, that, you know, the winds blow and sometimes I lean that way and I lean that. I know! No good thing in me. But he said, I found out something. Christ in you, the hope of glory. You try to battle by yourself, you'll get wounded the first second. You try to banish that bad, rotten, terrible habit and the devil will laugh in your face. Oh, he's, he's clever. Sometimes he'll give you a couple of days' peace and you think, hallelujah, I'm through. And the next moment you're flattened. Christ in you, the hope of glory. And without that, pardon my saying it, but get my thoughts, without that it's not much good talking about the blood of Jesus. Because you'll commit sins almost, almost faster than it can be cleansed, humanly speaking. The Christ who by his amazing love can lift me out of the gutter. He can lift me up and make me stand. But it's not I, it's Christ who liveth in me. Now if I want to be boss in the house, well he might not just as well be there. If I ask him in and say, hey, hey, Lord, do you know something? I'm no good at all. I'm as weak as ditch water. But if you'll come in, I tell you what, I know it's my house. But you can have it. In conversion, you come to live with me. But in holiness, I live with you because you're boss. See? So you have the house. And you see the things. If you want me to do something, I'm ready, but you're boss. I wrote these things on the margin of my Bible today. The unclean house, the unprecedented hope. Maybe he can do for me what I can't do for myself. And the unending help, because he says, I never leave you nor forsake you. I said, Jesus, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. You see my house? Hmm, it used to be like that. And then it became like this. And then because the man was so stupid, he depended upon himself, it was worse than ever. But that's not the end of the story. 
I can bring you to the place where you will say triumphantly, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That pure exposition of the word of God. But we all need it. Now then, if I've got time, I'd like to tell you a story that says it all. Look at my watch. Ah, it's all right. Australia. I was the national evangelist for the Baptist Church. If you're overseas, there's only one Baptist Church. Here you've got so many I've lost count. If we keep if we keep going, we'll be like Heinz Beans, fifty seven varieties. But overseas only one Baptist church and I, I was the national evangelist in Australia and oh, and New Zealand and elsewhere. I got a letter. Dear sir, you are coming to Bundaberg where I live and I want to talk to you. I am a criminal. I'm just out of prison. God has saved me and I want to talk to you. So I looked at my itinerary. I wasn't going to Bundaberg for six months. I went on my way preaching night after night, week after week. Eventually I got to Bundaberg and uh, the meetings were held in a, a tent bigger than this church. And I said to the minister one night, I said, hey brother, I got a letter months ago from some fella here who was a criminal and so on and so on. And I said, I'd like to see him. He said, have you met him? I said, man, if I'd met him, I wouldn't be asking you this. And he grinned. Well, he said, there he is. He's in charge of the prayer meetings. I saw this fella coming out of the prayer room. He was a little stooped, silvery hair, a uh, gray suit. But his, 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 um, his face was lined as if he'd had hard times. But there was a glow in his eyes. So I went and I said, excuse me, brother, did you send me a letter? He had one speed, dead slow. Yes. I said, do you want to tell me a story? Yes. Man, I thought the Lord would come before he'd get started. <laughs> and I had services. But this is what he told me, and I'm going to quicken the speed. Sir, as far back as I can go in thought, I was the thief. It was in my blood. I had a hot steak when I was a kid because the police were after me. I stole from anybody and everybody. When I was a young man, I went to work on a farm. And on market day, when the farmer put his wife into the cart and the pony took them to market, he said, I'd already made my plans. I went into the house and I stole all that I wanted and then I burned their house down, hoping that they'd never discover that some things had been stolen. I said, you did? Yeah, he said, burned the lot to the ground. When they came back, there was nothing. But he said, the police were clever and they got me. And I was hauled into court, and I was sentenced to eight years hard labor. Sir, in the prison, Jesus found me. And I got saved. 
But I knelt down and I prayed and I thanked God for his mercy. He saved me and washed me in the blood of the Lamb. That was the first time. When I knelt down the second time, I got nowhere. Before I could say one prayer, I remembered I was guilty of 22 other crimes for which I hadn't been caught. So what do you do? I wrote to the judge and said, Your Honor, I'm so-and-so. You sent me down for eight years for one crime. I'm a Christian now, and when I get out, I want to have a clean slate. I don't want this lot hanging over my head. I'm guilty for 22 more crimes. And he listed them. So what happened then? He said, I was hauled into court. And the judge, he just looked at me. He said, I trembled. Eight years for one? Dear God, I was going to prison now for the rest of my life. Then he said, to my boundless astonishment, the judge said, guilty on all counts. I sentence you to another eight years, but the sentences can run concurrently. That means they could be the same time. He said, I couldn't believe it. Couldn't believe it. I'd be out in eight years. Ladies, all the while, his little woman worked her fingers to the bone to keep a home together so that when her man eventually came out, he'd have somewhere to go. He told me his story of how in the prison he started a Bible class, started it by giving his testimony and then to the best of his ability told them the story of Christ. And when he came out of prison, she was there waiting for him. He had put all his possessions on a wheelbarrow. And with his wife alongside, he wheeled the barrel with his two possessions down to his house. He said to me, Sir, I'd love to take you home with me for lunch today. Will you come? I said, sure, I'll come. Good. His wife went ahead. He got into my car after I'd finished what I had to do. And I drove down, oh, man, a fashionable street. He said, next house, there it is. It was beautiful. I didn't say anything to him, but the... I looked at it, beautiful drapes at the window, paint all clean. He said, this is where I live. I said, man, oh man, oh man. I got out. He opened the door. He said, come in. I walked into an empty room. There was no furniture. She worked and worked and worked to pay the rent. No furniture. But she put drapes on the window so that the neighbors wouldn't know she was so poor. We went into what was the dining room and there was a table and four rickety old chairs that Noah wouldn't have had in his ark. No wonderful meal, some meat and some potatoes and a piece of bread. Best meal I ever had in my life. And I sat there, my wife sat with me and the wife, the other, his wife was over there. He said, let's pray. You know, that guy prayed so long, my potatoes went stone cold. 
I didn't shut my eyes. I opened my eyes and looked at him. He had God. He thanked God for his mercy. He thanked God that Jesus had saved him. And on and on and on. And we talked. Listen to this now. When I was about to leave, I said, Brother, I want to ask you a question, but I'm scared. What is it? Well, uh, what is it? You told me all your life. You were a kleptomaniac. You stole, stole. It, it, it was like a fever. It, it ran in your blood. You couldn't help it. Yes. You had a hot steak. Yes. You burnt the house, and I listed them all. Now you're saved. Yes. What is it? Do you ever feel... The old urge coming back over you. You're a Christian now, but the old temptations. Do, do, do you ever feel now like stealing? Yes. I said, you do? Mr. Powell, sometimes it sort of comes up my back and over my head. Like a big, big hot flash. And it consumes me. And I want to steal. I said, what do you do? I look to Jesus. And he holds me fast. I went to the place where he worked in the lumber mill. They all knew what he'd been. But I saw the shining, burning respect in the eyes of the men when they looked at him. Listen! Do you feel you've made a mess of things? And your house, ah, uh, dirty? And you're scared to start again because, oh, I don't want eight devils. Brother, when you feel that coming over you, what do you do? I look to Jesus and he holds me fast. If he can hold that man, as he's held me all these years, hey, hallelujah, he can hold you. Amen.